A psalm. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. Thank you, uh, Harriet. Uh, let's join in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would help us now to understand your word. You are its author. All scripture you inspired. We pray now, Father, that you would inspire us as you teach us. Through Christ we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Australia, what a great nation. And you know we're famous for so many things. Uh, for the platypus, for the hill's horse, a uh, hoist. Uh, <laughs> uh, for Wi-Fi. Did you know that? We really did develop and invent Wi-Fi. For the black swan. Uh, swans were known all over the world. They were loved by the Europeans. And as the Europeans explored the world for over 500 years, the only swans they saw were white swans. The idea of a black swan became an idea that was inconceivable, impossible, unimaginable. There was no such thing as a black swan until Western Australia was discovered, that is. And then the scientific world was turned upside down. And black swans have become a symbol behind what's known as the black swan event. A black swan event is an event that is a surprise when it happens. COVID, for instance, is a black swan event. Black swan events are normally disasters, unforeseeable, unpredictable. They just happened. And yet, black swan events can also be good events. And Australians are also famous for knowing how to have a good time. Like when the Socceroos got into the World Cup 16. Or like the party that we threw when Sydney won, or did they buy... One, we'll go with one, the rights to host the, 20, the 2000 Olympics. 
You know, when those famous words were uttered, Sydney, Australia became loud with partying. Hats went in the air, noisemakers went off. And only us Aussies could dream of calling the whole world to our party. It was exuberant, irresistible. It was a celebration that only Aussies could put on. And here, here in Psalm 98, that sort of celebration is what we're called, even more than called, we're directed, instructed to celebrate before the Lord. The psalm begins by calling on Israel to burst into jubilant song. They're to sing a new song. We kind of miss the importance of this. A new song is a victory song, a song that is sung after a decisive battle is won. Like, do you remember back in Exodus, the crossing of the Red Sea, where the Egyptians were all defeated? It was a, it was a horrific defeat. They drowned. And then Moses and the people, they sang a song, and it was a new song, the song of Moses, the song of Miriam. Or like in the judges with Deborah, a great victory over their enemies. And what do they do? Again, they sing a song, a new song. And so here in Psalm 98, Israel is directed to sing a new song. It's a song after a victory has been won. It's a song after a Military victory has been won. Verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Whenever the Lord rescued his people from their enemies, there was reason to write a new song of praise to God for what he had done. This psalm, it doesn't seem to link to a specific battle or have one in mind. Perhaps it was a general Victory song. But it's a psalm that does recognise that it's God who does the saving, who brings the victory and calls on all people to celebrate in song to God for his saving acts. For, we're told in verse 1, because he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Uh, that's the language of Exodus. His right hand and his holy arm, his might and his power, he's used it all to save us. The marvellous things that God has done is to save his people. For God to be able to work salvation, uh, God actually does use his power that's what his right hand and his holy arm are all about. He's powerful. Powerful like a king. And because the Lord's arm is holy, then the way and how and the what of his saving is all tied to holiness. 
and righteousness. He works rightly, not maliciously. This psalm, then, it calls Israel to celebrate the righteous victory and the reign of the Lord. This same Lord, we see, is an evangelist. You know, we think of an evangelist, somebody like Billy Graham. You know, someone who publicly calls people to turn away from sin and to turn to God. But God thinks his salvation is so great that he himself tells the nations about himself. Look at verse 2. The Lord has made known his salvation. He didn't hide it. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. Why? What, what motivated the Lord to save the people? His people? Well, love and faithfulness. Faithfulness to his covenant promises. Verse 3. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. And so... The evangelist, God himself, reaches out to all the earth. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. The Lord's victorious salvation is what the Lord has done in the past. It was a past victory that they were celebrating. But now, now is the time to praise God. Somehow, we're told here, though it's not explained, when all the ends of the earth come to know about God's salvation and his love and faithfulness, that then even the ends of the earth celebrate as well. Which is different to when Sydney won the Olympics. There were many who didn't approve of the Australian win. In verse 1, the psalmist, he calls on the people to sing to the Lord. But in verse 4, all the earth is called to join in this celebration. And the celebration is noisy. Verse 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. You know, when people are happy, at least I've been told I don't do this. When people are happy, they usually sing in the shower. Uh, I actually think it's a bit hard, you know, to fit the harp, the trumpet, the ram's horn into the bath with you. But all of these instruments and more to be used in our boisterous singing. Verse 6. Make a joyful noise before the Lord. Well, before the King, the Lord. You know, I've been saying he's sovereign. Well, here it is. Yes, he is King. Most definitely. And yes, now, noisy and joyful praise should be given to him. And note here, human voices are not enough to praise the King, the Lord. 
nor are all the instruments in the world enough with those voices. And so the psalmist, he doesn't just stop with voices. He doesn't just stop with instruments. He calls on all creation itself to join the celebration. The sea is to roar. The fish is to join in. Verse 7, let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it, all the animals and more. The rivers are to lead the applause. The mountains are to become a mighty choir of joyful praise to the Lord. Let the rivers clap their hands and the hills sing for joy together. There isn't to be one quiet corner, not one unmoved creature, not one silent mouth. Everything, everyone is to sing together in praise to God. But what could cause such universal acclamation? How does God save his people? Uh, Verse 9 helps towards that. This is why it has the word for in it. The second time in this psalm, the whole universe, people, trees, rivers, fish, animals, are in noisy, loud praise because God comes. Verse 9. The whole creation is in celebration because their king is coming. They're celebrating before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Ooh, did you did you see that? This psalm expresses joy and praise at the coming of the Lord to do the work of judgment. Which we know will happen one day in the future. And all of a sudden in this psalm, I don't know if you picked it up, we've got the past salvation, the present praise, and the future judgment. Past, present and future. This psalm, it has a sting in its tail though, doesn't it? The reason for all this celebration is that the Lord will judge the earth. God saves by judging. Through judgment, God removes evil and wickedness from his presence and from our presence, I'm going to say. I mean, this is great, isn't it? You know, God's judgment is usually something we're a trifle coy about. But this psalm revels in it and calls on everyone else to join in the revelry as well. Why? Well, think about the character of God's judgment. You know, it's not like a kangaroo court. They can be had. We have them. Where somebody or something or maybe just some money that was paid holds sway Verse 9 says he will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. 
God knows all that has happened, including the motives and hidden agendas that we can only guess at. He alone has the goodness and the impartiality to uphold the cause of the innocent, the widow, the orphan. And he has the power and authority to enforce his judgment. It's the Lord who will judge. And sadly, I'm going to say the righteousness of God's judgment doesn't seem to bring delight to the hearts of Christians, let alone to the world. We still don't like the idea of God judging. I'm going to say we actually should, you know, because every time we feel angry about what has happened in the world, we're implicitly longing for someone to bring righteous judgment. Every time we call out, it's not fair, we're calling on somebody to step in and make it fair. And that's what God will do one day. You know, when God did come, it was a black swan event. A good one. The Lord's coming was to bring both salvation and judgment. Amazingly, when the Lord came, he didn't come just to bring both of those. He came to bring salvation. And even a particular sort of salvation, it was salvation from judgment, not salvation by judgment. I mean, that's, that's a bigger reason, isn't it, to go wild in celebration? He came to save us from his judgment. The angels said it when they spoke to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. You know, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour. Who is this saviour? He's the king. He's the Lord. Who is Christ the Lord? The king and the Lord has come to save. John put it this way in John chapter 3. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through him, Jesus came to save the world from judgment. Yay! I mean, this is an act of grace by the king, isn't it? The king and the Lord. And God's amazing grace to us was worked out at great price. The king, the Lord himself, died. But it wasn't a death just for Israel, for the then people of God, it was a death that was made open to the entire world. Whoever would receive him. 
Not only should Israel go into celebration, but truly, like in Psalm 98, the entire world should burst into song. This was for the Gentiles. This was for the nations. This was for me. This was for you. This act of salvation, it doesn't do away with the judgment. I mean, think about what would happen if there wasn't going to be a judgment. Although it kind of seems attractive at first, you know, a bit more thought would show what a disaster that would be even if there was no judgment. You know, how depressing it would be to think that humanity would just go on and on and on, that we'd probably die out when our sun goes cold, that there'd be no justice actually done. It wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be fair to me and you and all the bad ways in which you've been treated well, nothing would be done about it. That'd be a horror, wouldn't it? If there was no judgment. For God not to judge the world would kind of show that he actually didn't care. The psalm says he loves us. He's faithful to his promises, but... No judgment. He doesn't care. He's indifferent. To see the unjust pain each of us has caused his creation and then not be moved into action. Well, that's a God who's far away and just doesn't want to know. But that's not our God. Our God is close and he does want to know. It's, it is. It's a terrific thing that God will come to judge the earth. And it's not just wishful thinking either. He has revealed his righteousness in history, in the flood, in the exodus, in the death of Jesus. At the cross, we see how serious God takes sin. Jesus took the full brunt of God's anger, right anger on our sin. In one sense, the judgment of the world has already taken place. And that's sufficient cause for rejoicing, isn't it? If I come to Jesus, I'm not going to be condemned. I have peace with God. I can rejoice that the judgment that, well, I should have faced, somebody else faced. The day when God finally and fully cleans up the mess of this world and puts everything right, it will come. This will be a day when even the natural order will be freed from its frustrating decay no wonder the psalm 
calls on creation itself to join in the celebration. Look, this psalm, it surprises us. But it's a timely word for a world that is weary with its own evil and injustice. You know, next time somebody else cries out, it's not fair, or complains about the state of affairs in, well, Afghanistan, the Ukraine, or their own family, why not ask them to join in singing for joy because God is coming to judge the world? Well, that would be a bit shocking, wouldn't it? That he will in the future fairly and with equity judge all. God is both perfectly loving and perfectly just. He is merciful when he punishes and he overlooks no sin when he loves. God is serious about judgment. He will uphold justice. He goes as far as necessary, even to the point of crucifying his own son to uphold that holy and righteous justice. On the cross, Jesus bore the judgment that was due to us. It's a sad thing that had to happen. But oh, what joy. You know, I and you, we don't have to face God's judgment because of his love and faithfulness, because he marvellously saves us, just as Psalm 98 says. So shouldn't we? Shouldn't we be joyful in singing to the Lord and sing a new song? And if we're going to praise God for his judgment, then surely, surely we should get even more noisy and praise the King and the Lord for saving us from judgment. Would Jesus have sung this song? Oh yes, he is the Saviour. He would think it right that because of his great love that he has for us, that we and him should sing praise. And yes, we should sing this psalm. Jesus is the Saviour. He is the King. He did come. It is in the past for us. He saved. Holy and righteous. With great power and at great cost. Surely, surely we could at least clap our hands. Form a choir. No, don't put me there. Um, surely we could. Even I should be in the choir to sing praise to our Lord. Joy to the earth. Psalm 98 was put into a carol. We're going to sing the carol shortly. But as we sing this carol, Joy to the World, it's a song which focuses on the Lord's salvation. Yes, let's be joyful about that. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. He, he is King. 
The song sings about that. Shouldn't we open our hearts to him, the king? Joy to the earth, the saviour reigns. All creation is needed to fill out this praise for the Lord's salvation. The Lord rules and judges with truth and grace. His love and his faithfulness to his promises. They're all here in this song. He is righteous. So why don't we do it now? Let's sing Joy to the World. If you're able, please, let's stand. And at the risk of offending some people, let's be loud. <laughs> things his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him praise the lord now may the grace of the lord jesus christ and the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with you all now and forever <laughs>